morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And I'm here with episode three with Vin Matano, but Vin's first ever part two episode. It's the one and only Prospecting King, now bringing us through everything after prospecting, mostly around multi-threading and running your deal cycle. So Nick, why should people listen? Well, if you weren't massively confused by Armand explaining part two, episode three, just know Vin weaves in incredible showmanship to his sales process. And I don't know, if you're not having a little fun with this, why the heck are you even in this profession? And so if you want to learn how to have more fun and use having fun to help you sell more effectively, well, you may want to stick around for this one. And as a reminder, Vin has given you all for free his five favorite emails from prospecting through close, and you can get those in the show notes. And a five, a four, a three, two, three, four, three, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Sorry to confuse you guys. Let's get started. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. So Vin, can we talk a little bit more about this multi-threading email that you just referenced? So everything that we talked about previously was really focused on prospecting snippets, prospecting templates, ways you can personalize the first approach. 
but you have some very specific messaging that you're using once you actually engage in a sales cycle. And so what is in this multi-threading email and when are you using it in your sales cycle? Yeah, so multi-threading is extremely important. I think we found a demand base that if you multi-thread with seven or more individuals from the account, they're engaged with your stuff, you're 5x more likely to close the deal. And so we're very hyper-focused on multi-threading here at Demandbase. One of the biggest departments we try to get multi-threaded into is, is sales, right? So whenever we have sales involved, we want to make sure that we can get some one-on-one time with them. And so I have a template that I like to use. In one scenario, I was working a deal through marketing first. I asked to get introed into their sales team so we can highlight the sales processes. They introed me. We have a time set up on the calendar. I will send this email to this individual. I said, hey, prospect, given your role as the VP of business development, I'm sure you're most interested in insert goal. If not, let me know if there's anything specific you'd like to see during tomorrow's call and I'll add it to the agenda. Very simple. Now, the way that I personalize that, right, because I said I never send templates without personalizing, is I'll add something to the first paragraph of that email. In this scenario, I was meeting with a new VP of business development. He was only there for a month or so. I called that out. I said, hey, I just noticed you joined the team. Congratulations. One of my favorite books when I joined a new company is The First 90 Days. So I wanted to send that to you virtually. And so I sent him a link via Sendoso so he can claim that book. He wound up loving that. It's actually his favorite book. He's read it before. He literally told, he called me and said, how did you know that was my favorite book? I obviously had no idea. And so that's a way where you can use personalization in your multi-threading, right? Another example that I can share with you guys is Gong reported that like mentions of being sick or having the flu nearly doubled last month. A lot of people are getting sick. Their kids are getting sick. Their, their spouses are getting sick. And so I literally went into Gong and typed in the word sick. And whenever we see, whenever I saw a prospect mention that, I sent them Sendoso has this package called comfort soup and it's like soup and cookies and it's like a get well thing. I sent that to all the prospects. And if it was someone that is part of the evaluation, but not the main contact, I now have a separate thread with them. Hey, and I remember on the last call, you mentioned you were sick. I wanted to send you the soup. I love soup when I'm sick. And this is a, now a way I can open up a direct line of communication with somebody else that was on the call. Let's say that you, you have that book approach where you have someone who previously was not engaged in the sales cycle. Do you prefer to handle that conversation then separately and keep two threads separate? Do you prefer to fold them into the broader conversation? How do you actually weave those individuals into your sales cycle once you get a hold of them? So before I actually meet with them, I will keep it separate. And I'm not trying to go over my prospect's head, my main contact's head. Really what I'm doing is just introducing myself and just making sure that I can get the most accurate agenda on the calendar. So this should not be offending your prospect. Like if you use that exact template, you're basically just trying to make sure that the agenda is good because at the end of the day, your champion is bringing on this person. So they want the call to be really good too. So I'll reach out to them directly one off. After the call, I will loop that new person that I met with into the bigger chain, right? The bigger thread where all the, the recaps live and all the resources. I will do a recap email to the entire group that had joined the call. And then I will do one off recaps to each person that was on the call trying to create separate threads. Now in sales, we don't get a lot of responses. So if they don't respond, that's okay. You still have to do it. If you do get a response, like that tells you that the deal is very, very healthy. And so that's, that's my strategy. You're really selling a lot into the marketing side, but then you'll end up meeting with and multi-threading with and selling to sales to some extent. So let's say you meet with that head of business development. You have a really good conversation. Things go well. They respond to your individual recap email saying, yep, this looks great. Thanks so much. And then your sales cycle might go on another couple of weeks or months even. How do you make sure that that person still has visibility on the deal or stays engaged? Like, how do you make sure that they stay multi-threaded in the deal? 
Yeah, so one of the things that I like to do is I actually will use Gong to make sure I continue to stay multi-threaded. So on that first call, I'll get that prospect talking with Discovery, of course. And on the afterwards on the call, I'll literally grab snippets from the Gong transcript and say, hey, VP of Business Development, you mentioned you cared about enabling your reps more. I just wanted to make sure your questions were answered. Here's some resources that will align to that. Now, let's say they're not involved anymore. They just brought in once and that was it. If I want to continue that conversation, I will follow up. We have resources here at DemandBase that we can share to sales folks. I'll continue to reach out maybe once a week, once every other week, depending on how the deal is structured. And my call to action will be like, hey, do you want to dive deeper on this specific topic of enabling your reps? I have some examples that I'd like to share with you. Now, like I said, sales, you don't really get responses a lot. That's just the nature of the beast. But if you do get that response, this is a very healthy deal. So that's the whole goal. It's like, hey, I just want to get some one-on-one time with them. One thing I want to ask you about is, let's say you've got your VP of marketing and that person's your champion and they're introducing you to a bunch of these other roles and you understand the stuff that the VP of marketing is trying to solve. But then you get intro to, again, this head of business development or head of sales. And I imagine those person's problems they want to solve are similar to what marketing wants to solve, but there's probably some differences for that persona. And so I'm wondering when you get intro to a new stakeholder who's in a different function, how are you kicking those meetings off? Because normally when we talk about how you start a discovery call, you say, you know, what made you take the call? But it's like, well, my, my VP of marketing introed me to you. So like, how are you running those initial multi-threading calls where you're with a new stakeholder? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the reason why it's a good question is because the personas that we sell into can be so different where the goals and even like the recap can be completely irrelevant to the new persona. So let's say we're talking about advertising goals and then all of a sudden we meet with a salesperson, they could care less about that. And so the way I structure it is one, I'm hoping that email that I sent the day before gives me some good info to lead in with. Now, if I don't get a response, that might be the unfortunate truth. And so I'll start the call by saying, hey, VP of business development, We talked a lot with your marketing counterparts and we talked about X, Y, and Z. This is how it would affect your business. I know, of course, this is just focused on marketing. Today's goal is to focus more on the sales process. So I'd love to better understand that. And so that kind of opens the door for more discovery and that allows you to then personalize your demo based on the feedback you are getting in advance. And if you could get one-on-one time with the marketer beforehand or whoever your contact is, and maybe they can give you some insider info like, hey, I know that person really cares about X, Y, and Z. Definitely put that on your slides that would be ideal. Vin, you mentioned earlier that you're doing one sort of master recap email as you loop people into the big thread, and then you're doing one-off recap emails. And my guess is there's a material difference between the recap email that you're sending to a VP of marketing versus a VP of sales, for instance. And so could you give us a sense of how you differentiate the messaging between the big group recap email versus at times the five individualized recaps that you will send to all of the people on the call? Yeah, the big recap is just encompassing the entirety of the conversation. That's where all the resources are gonna live the call recording. It's not very personalized. It is, but not to the roles, right? And so the, the individualized ones, honestly, I only personalize them based on what they had said that I can pull in a gong report because those follow-up emails take a long time. Personally, I think that's one of my least favorite things in sales is doing the recap emails. And so I try to make it very easy. My template is saying, hey, thanks for joining. On the call, you mentioned, and I put the snippet X, Y, and Z. Want to make sure that questions was answered. Here are some resources to better support that. Those are my individualized one-off ones. They're very easy to do, and it takes you know five minutes to personalize. What you're doing subtly, that you made it sound very casual, but you're not bringing the entire thread 
through the weeds of the technical questions. And so there are a couple elements that I actually want to go back to. The first element is a lot of people think multi-threading means having multiple people involved in a deal. And that's true to a certain extent. But what a lot of people do is they throw one fishing reel into the water, and then they throw the other reel right on top of that one. So you have seven lines crossed on top of each other. And what that actually means is you're using one champion as your point of contact to try to get access to all of these other people. And then your champion is your channel through which you're reaching these other contacts. But what you're doing is two things. Number one, as you're multi-threading, you are keeping the lines separate so that you have multiple threads that you can call on individually because you have a direct line of access to them in the case that one of those lines snaps. And then number two, in the case that one of those lines turns sour or asks a bunch of technical questions or might be a blocker, you're not bringing all of their concerns into the master thread of Every single person that's in that deal cycle, you're isolating them out and almost multi-threading them separately from the deal cycle in case they end up being a blocker inside of your sale. Yeah, well, it's a layup, right? If they mention something that is worth a deeper conversation, like you'd be silly not to use that as a one-off email to try to get time with them. If you just put it in the big email, that's going to get lost in the sauce. You're never going to hear from them. Then I want to ask you about something that you put in the prep doc, and you wrote about having a a sense of showmanship throughout the deal. And we've talked about it a couple of times. One of my favorite quotes is you can't be perceived to be better until you're first perceived to be different. And I'm curious about at this point in the deal, we talked about some of the unique stuff you're doing up front, right? Like with the Twitter and the, the throwing the basketball paper into the trash, which I couldn't do for the life of me. How are you weaving showmanship into the later part of your deal? Showmanship is one of the most underrated skills in sales. And I strongly believe that your prospects are going on so many different vendor calls, especially if they're doing a proper evaluation, they could be like revamping their whole tech stack, which a lot of companies do do. And so they're just sitting on call after call after call and hearing the same flow, essentially someone tagging in their SE, the SE explains this technical thing and it just gets very boring. And in some of the demos at demand base, we actually show real data and I don't know, nothing sounds exciting about going through data. That sounds very boring. And picture them doing that with a whole bunch of other prospects. So how can you incorporate showmanship in every part of your sales process? Like I think about that before I do anything. I don't know if it's just me, but when I send an email for prospecting, I think about how can I incorporate showmanship? How can I get someone excited about to meet with me? Once I get them to meet with me, how can I get this conversation off to a laugh or to a smile, right? I'm always thinking about how I can incorporate showmanship. And so one example I have for you guys, is I was working a deal, and I mentioned this earlier, actually, earlier on in the call, but there was a deal where I found out through doing some research in the 10K that they were moving into a new industry. The industry was the LMS space, learning management uh, software. It's an extremely competitive industry. So instead of going through all this data that I found, I just put the number on the screen, 282. And instead of saying, hey, you guys have you know X, Y, and Z and explaining it, I said, can any one of you five people in the room tell me what this number means, 282? Whoever gets it right, I will send you a bottle of wine through Sendoso. And so now, instead of just like going through this data, now I get these people engaged. Okay, well, what does this mean? And we go one by one. I want to make sure everybody's involved here. Um, somebody actually got it right. The number 282 was the number of LMS vendors on G2 Crowd. Me trying to paint the picture that this is a very competitive industry. And that got a chuckle out of everybody. I sent the guy the wine. He deserved it. And that's just a way we're thinking about the showmanship in any, any part of the sales process. Another person that I met with mentioned that 
when she tries to target accounts, it feels like she's playing darts blindfolded and thought that was quirky. So I wrote that down. And so I started the presentation with a video. There's a video on the internet somewhere of Mike Tyson playing darts blindfolded. And that's what I did to, to create showmanship. I said, you know, Hey prospect, you know, you mentioned that you kind of feel like Mike Tyson sometimes. And you know, it was the video of him playing. And so anytime you can incorporate that showmanship, whether it's corny or not, who cares? It's really just about being different in your sales process and breaking up that mundane demo workflow that everybody sounds like this. And it really helps you stand out. So these are hyper-personalized ways to put on showmanship. Is there anything else that you'd say is like reasonably repeatable that the audience could go and pick up today? Totally. One of the things you can do on every single deal is take a direct quote from your prospect, whether you got it on a discovery call, whether they put it out somewhere on the internet, take that exact quote from the prospect. And if you use Gong, you could literally take the exact one and put it on a slide and put nothing else on the slide. The goal of the showmanship is to really just like take your prospect off guard. And by putting something they said on the screen, it allows them to like talk deeper into that conversation. So that's something that's repeatable. So let's talk about as you get deeper into the deal now. You've done a really good job breaking into the account in a unique way. You've multi-threaded. Eventually, you get deep enough into the deal where they're like, hey, Vin, we want to buy this thing. Let's put you in the position where you get on the Zoom, the customer shows up, they've got a, a smile on their face, and they say, Vin, we really like you guys. Problem is, budgets are tight, we're in a tough economic environment, and we just can't pay the price that you're asking us to pay. What can you do for me? Where do you go from there? Yeah, well, unfortunately, this is happening more and more with the current economy. Whether folks really need that discount or whether folks are using the economy as an excuse to try to get a deeper discount, it's kind of hard for us to, to determine that, right? And so when a, an executive comes to you and asks for a higher discount, I typically like to lead my negotiations with transparency. Instead of trying to get one over on the prospect, it shouldn't feel like someone had won this battle, right? I, I do want to lead with transparency. And you're doing that through the whole sales process, right? My goal is to be upfront with them. And so it would look something like this. Your prospect comes to you and asks you for a 40% discount. You can say first, well, I'm really glad that we're talking about this right now. I'm really excited about the potential partnership. You also want to verify that you are the vendor of choice if you haven't done so already. I'm assuming right now you have. You have verified that you are the vendor of choice and you can begin negotiation. And then I'd say, typically, there are three levers that will allow us to be a little bit more flexible on the price. And it kind of works as a spectrum, right? The more you can do, the higher the discount. The first thing would be the amount, right? And for demand base, we look at advertising spend as, as an amount. You spend a lot of advertising spend with us. Maybe there are some rooms where we can you know, change up the, uh, the pricing. The second one would be the term, the length of the contract, the longer, the better. And the third thing is the time. If you guys can sign tomorrow, there'd be a much bigger discount than you guys signing a month from now. And so out of the three, like, which do you feel most comfortable with? And now they're going through this. You're, you're on their side. You're, you're really just showing them all the hands of how you, the customer, can get a discount. And now this is a, a truthful thing too. Like if they only can move on one thing, well, you're not going to give them a discount that is appropriate. You're going to give them appropriate discount on if they move on one thing. Now, if your prospect comes back and says, yeah, we can buy, we can buy more ads from you. We can sign a three-year agreement and we'll sign today. Well, that's, that's actually beneficial for me. I get a higher payout. I get X, Y, and Z. Like there's, it's very beneficial to me. So I will move and get them an appropriate discount based on those three levers. So let's say that someone comes in and they're like, okay, then I can move on one of those levers. Versus someone else comes in and says, Vin, I can move on all three of those levers. How do you land on an actual discount amount with the prospect once they've told you the levers that they're willing to pull? So I'm sure every organization has like discounting tiers, 
where they have like their VP, their you know, X, Y, and Z. And so I will line those up into the amount of levers that they're able to commit on. And what I can also do to encourage them maybe to move on a lever that they're not comfortable moving on. Whereas I can say, okay, yeah, I totally get it. The one lever you want to move on is, is the advertising spend. You can, you can spend a little bit more, which is really great. That's great for us. The other two you mentioned, you couldn't, you couldn't really move on. Here's the updated price um, for increasing ad spend with us. Here's the discount you can get. However, if you did have some wiggle room on this second one, we could probably get you to this, right? So it's kind of dangling the carrot. And I actually used this strategy on a deal literally at the finish line the day before they signed, I was able to get a million dollars in ads on the contract, which is, which is a lot, which is a lot at demand base. And so literally the day before they signed, we got a million dollar ad deal put on the contract because they were trying to move on some of these levers and trying to get a discount. And I got paid very well on that. So it, it benefited me and benefited them because they got the, the SaaS discount. Well, what's really intelligent about what you're doing is you are giving them options. Customers don't want to feel like they're boxed in a corner. And so when you say, Hey, Here's what it is if you take this path. This is the price here. But if you went with this other option, the price comes down to here. What you do is you inoculate against them fighting you on the first price because you're like, look, here's the path to get to the better price. You have to do this thing. And so when you give somebody options, it actually is a very freeing feeling for the other person. I'm curious, you talked about sort of the three different levers that you pull are volume, how many ads they actually buy or how much total volume of spend they do timing, like can they sign tomorrow versus in a quarter, and then the contract length. And those are the different levers related to the price per widget, whatever you guys actually sell. Is there a path that you see, especially in this right, this economy right now, are people going down one path more than the other or pulling on one lever more than the other? I'm, I'm just curious. Less and less people right now are more comfortable with these long-term agreements, just given the budget constrictions right now. And so it, it's something that is common. We do multi-year agreements for sure. Um, but the, the amount of months I've noticed is something that folks are a little hesitant with now. And they're more willing to say, hey, we'll get it signed tomorrow. We, we'll, we'll push it through internally in order for us to get this discount. So a lot of people are now moving on the signature date. I've noticed that. I've gotten deals like signed like within days, which is which is rare for me. And then the other thing, I think a lot of folks, this is specific to people in the ad tech space, but a lot of folks are moving physical marketing dollars to digital marketing dollars, given the current situation. So we have seen an increase in, in advertising spend as well. So customer says, Vin, if you can get a price of $100, we'll be able to get this signed by the end of next week. And it's a Wednesday. What happens next? Well, I would definitely would want that over email uh, just to verify. So I say, hey, great. Like, you might shoot me over that over to me via email, and we'll make sure to get you that proposal. Next is outlining the process of how we get to that signature. So I'd ask the prospect, what, how does that typically work on your end? How long does legal typically take? Is there a security review? Some organizations require one, some don't. Do you guys require a security review? If so, what does that actually look like? Do you envision any hurdles for us getting to that signature by that date? And then what I also do on top of that is I give them a price um, also if they don't sign by that date. So, hey, we're going to work with you guys on getting to this date with you. Any signature that happens outside of that date that we align to will be a, you know, in some cases different, but let's just say, I don't know, a 10% premium. I'm making that up, right? So if it's after that date, it'll be a 10% premium. So I want to make sure we support you and get to that number. Well, what you're doing is you're preparing and you're having the tough conversation around what happens if this slips up front. And what that's doing is, again, it's leading with transparency because the worst taste in a prospect's mouth is everyone who's ever closed a deal has probably had the scenario where a deal has slipped. And then you try to take away a discount. 
But the problem is you haven't told them how much you're going to take away. And usually you didn't very, very, very clearly address what happens if you don't make this timeline. And so now you're actually restarting the negotiation process and both of you lose because you had a slip deal and your prospect feels like they're having the wool pulled over their eyes because they now have to renegotiate an agreement. And so you're handling that all up front and you're giving the prospect control on all of these fronts. Yeah, and it never goes smoothly either. Like you can agree on terms and then literally the day before they're like, oh, by the way, my CFO wants quarterly billing. And you're like, well, we didn't agree on that. And so that's where, again, you can pull it up. Like we can do quarterly billings, but typically that's a 10% premium. Like, I don't know, you guys were like cautious on the budget. Is that something you guys want to move on? If they say, yeah, like, great, I get a higher quota percentage on that. Um, if not, then I still just keep the, 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 the regular terms. And I have done that where folks are saying, yeah, man, I, I didn't know we actually really do need the quarterly billings. Like we're happy to pay the 10% premium. Vin, this has been a phenomenal episode and we're running out of time here. So we got to move to the last question. The last question is this. You've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I'm going to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think that they need to break because it's hurting them more than it helps? One thing I think reps should not be doing is focusing on the, the volume of their activity. This also comes from the top down. A lot of organizations will require activity quotas on their reps when in reality they should be focusing on the output the actual quotas, not the activity quotas. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you have a top performing rep and the activity goal or quota is 100 activities and 50 cold calls or whatever, and you have a rep hitting their quota but not hitting the activity goal, they should not be penalized or disciplined for not doing that. And so I think for me personally, I'm a walking example of it. I rarely ever hitted my activity goal at demand based as an SDR. And still to this day, I don't do high volume activity. If you look at the leaderboard, I'm always at the low end of the activity board for total volume sent because I'm focusing on high quality outreach and my conversion rates are much higher. And so if that was something that I want to say that reps should stop doing, it's stop using outreach as a crutch. I'm not saying you have to go cold turkey and never use a sequence like me. I think that is a bit extreme, but stop using outreach as a crutch. When you don't get a response, it doesn't mean you have to send more templates. It means you should stop reaching out to them and move on to the next person. Boom. Beautiful. Vin, thank you for a great episode. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with 
Vin Matano, part two, include number one, keep your threads separate in your sales cycle to first establish direct lines of communication with independent threads and then weave them together later. Number two, once you have that group woven together or threaded together, separate out your master recap email from individual recap emails. Number three, put on a show. Vin put the number 282 to start a presentation. And that happened to be the number of LMS providers that were on G2 Crowd. And the winner who gets the number right got a bottle of wine. And lastly, number four, attach discount percentages to levers so that prospects can get in control of how they can buy themselves a discount. Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out? Unless your head has been under a rock, you might have noticed that we've been starting to work with our guests to take some of their best email templates and scripts and tools and worksheets that they use to sell more effectively. And we've been documenting them and we've been giving them away for free. And that's by design. Sometimes it can be confusing with all of the stuff that we're promoting. My recommendation, if you want to steal a lot of this stuff that we've been putting together with our guests, it's all housed at 30mpc.com. So go check it out. It's in our toolkit. Take it. It's free. Our goal is to put out as many free resources to help you as a seller as possible. And so um, don't let it just sit there in the toolkit unused, please. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the show. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.